Hey everyone, a big welcome back to the Nick Elson Show, season six, episode seven, and another amazing guest to bring you this week. Hot on the heels of Faye Dicker last week, her of BBC uh, fame. Um, amazing episode. Thank you so much for your engagement on that, by the way. Uh, I have another whiz when it comes to communication and presenting. I'm having a theme here. The one, the only, Mr. Dave Harris. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very, uh, very, very <laughs> nice uh, big up introduction there. Well, you're worth sure it. I quite see. deserve it. <laughs> you, do, you do absolutely <laughs> deserve it. You see, and I know this to be true because... I end up kind of interviewing a lot of people that I've never met in person. I think it's the wonders of the modern age. Um, but you I've actually met in person. And I actually booked you to deliver a talk to my audience. Um, the first event after uh, lockdown and the and pandemic and everything else. So one of the real bonuses of that period for me was meeting you. Um, you came and delivered a really fantastic talk about why uh, kind of podcasting media presenting is so important, um, especially in the speaking world. And I'm just really impressed by you generally. Your contributions on the day were fantastic as well. So before we dig into everything that's Dave Harris, the world of Dave Harris, tell us where you're from and what you do and what's brought you to our virtual door today. Well, thanks, Nick. Uh, I, well, I'll try and keep this sh this bit short. Um, in a nutshell, um, I started out after I did a music degree at university. I was a musician. And then after university, I uh joined the bbc so i was a trainee studio manager a long long time ago um uh to the extent that we were editing um our radio programs with uh razor blades and uh, such like so uh, you know wow. it was this pre-digital just and um yeah so i worked at the bbc for a number of years and then long story short i uh left the bbc went freelance was still doing production for the bbc i worked in classical music world for quite a long time recording orchestras and that sort of thing um then i moved to the united states for a few years i lived and worked in chicago and worked for the bbc over there as well as npr and um yeah and sort of basically uh got back into the broadcasting side then did a lot of production and we um i worked with another british producer who i met in chicago and we did we had a little independent production company there then i came back to this country uh carried on with that freelance work and then set up my own production company and moved into the world of web video really because it was at that time this was about 12 to 13 years ago things were just beginning to take off video was becoming incredibly important on the internet so i set up a little company to try and take advantage of that and to offer people my services as an interviewer and a communicator to create um corporate video and that sort of thing um and that sort of brought me where i am today i mean now i do podcasts as well going back to my radio roots but uh but i still run to this day i still run a production company and make a lot of video and podcasts for corporate clients amazing day thank you so sorry we just had to sort out a technical issue there with the the screen so if you're now having some form of seizure because you were watching the screen on the video apologies and all claims can be submitted to no uh so um, hopefully that's all sorted now um but thank you dave so much for that kind of intro and wow what a background you've had vast experience and i want to dig down into all of that but i want to take you a little bit further back than that just to kick off with so tell us about baby Dave. Tell us about growing up. Tell us about family life, education, uh, whereabouts you grew up, and what what took you through to the the first steps of the professional journey, as you shared already. 
Well, I'm I'm um, I'm very touched that you think I can remember all that, you know, at my vast <laughs> old age. But um, but yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, if we're really going back to the beginning. I was born in Edinburgh. I'm I'm a I'm a oh. Scot by uh, by birth. My mum is Scots and my dad is Welsh. I uh, through a series of uh, moves because of my father's job. I ended up growing up uh, most of my um, teenage years and school years were in Cardiff in South Wales. So um, and and there I got seriously into rugby because obviously, you know, as you all know, Cardiff is the home of rugby. I don't know if anybody seriously disputes that, despite Wales's performance right at the moment. And um, yeah, so I was I was a great I, I, I was a great um, fan of rugby. I played it a lot at school. I was rubbish at it. It has to be said. Uh, there was never any chance of me uh, doing anything interesting uh, later on in life with rugby, but I loved playing it. And I and I used to go and watch it a lot. My dad would take me to what was then uh, the National Stadium and the Arms Park, where Cardiff still play to this day. Mm. And um, yeah, and we we you know it was um, it was good. I enjoyed growing up in Cardiff. It's changed a lot since I left there. It's now a big sort of media centre, and uh, there's lots of and they've rebuilt the docks, and you know the the harbour side has all been redeveloped. And none of that was there when I was a kid. It was all derelict. Um, so it's it's improved a lot since I left, and some people don't think that's a coincidence, but you know there we are. Um, so I'm I I really I really enjoyed growing up there, and then when I I left for I was lucky enough to get a chance to go to university, and I went to university in London. So I left um, I left Cardiff at the age of eighteen, I suppose, and then lived in London. Did my music degree. I loved living in London. I really really enjoyed. It. I was right in the middle of London at the City University. So it was very exciting for a young um, chap like me to be in the middle of everything, you know, and London is and always will be, I suspect, a very exciting place. Um, and um, I, yeah, and then towards the end of that degree, I, I then applied uh, for the BBC and 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 the rest of of you of the history you kind of know from my introduction. But, yeah, so I was, um, so music obviously is important to me because I did the I did the music degree I played the French horn all through my my youth okay. and um and then and was lucky enough to play in the National Youth Orchestra of Wales um for a couple of years and that was you know that was probably the the, the best musically the best thing I ever did um but I still play to this day I still now I still play in local amateur orchestras around where I live in the Stroud area and um and get a massive amount out of music it's my hobby it's uh it's what uh what i do when i'm not thinking about work and and i love doing it and i feel very very privileged to be able to do that i love that and it certainly kind of aligns with that performance element of what you deliver anyway as a because even behind the scenes it's kind of a performance so you're conducting a performance yeah i think there's some truth in that the 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 Obviously, the communication side of what I do, whether I'm directing other people, as I do a lot, or whether I'm presenting myself, because I, I present a fair bit on video and podcast. And obviously, that is a performance. It's no getting away from that, you know, and I think you just have to accept that and get on with it. And and obviously, having played in hundreds and hundreds of concerts over the years and and, and that sort of thing, I, I never... I was never really particularly bothered by that. I quite enjoy it, if I'm honest. And and I find, you know, if I'm if I if, if I'm asked to do any public speaking, you know, whether it's at a at a wedding or a funeral or or at a business event, you know, I I don't mind doing that. I enjoy it, and I think that's I'm lucky because I've had that I've had the music background, and that's sort of made me um, conscious that it's that it's okay to do these things, and 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 it's not 
rocket science. It's not that difficult. And I know that's something you you very much help people with as well. Um, you know, and it's a you know, once you've got the idea in your head that actually, you know, I can do this. Yeah. Then um, you know, and I got that, I was lucky I got that very early on in my career when I was, you know, working, I realized that I could do it and and that it wasn't that difficult, you know, and um it's so so I love doing it if I'm honest. And and the musical inspiration was that self-generated or was that from family or where did that come from that drive to be musical and to pursue music? Yeah, my dad my dad was a musician. He he um he was uh he was a great he he although again an amateur musician he 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 worked for a living you know not in the music world he was in industry but he loved music and he played in in several orchestras as well when he was an when he was a young adult and and later on when he had uh, the children and he was also, he also conducted he conducted a couple of amateur orchestras so I, he was always there you know doing these amazing things and and when i was old enough he said you know what do you want to play you know i don't think it was sort of would you like to play i think it was what do you want to play you know <laughs> and i and i sort of I, I, and he he said i've oh, thought about the french horn because that's a lovely instrument and it it was one of his favorite instruments though he didn't play it himself um and uh and so i sort of went along with it and and i just happened to be okay at it and uh, and loved doing it so so that's so i suppose my dad was my musical inspiration in uh, inspiration mm. and, uh, and my sister is also a good musician she sings and plays the piano and to a reasonable high standard and she was in fact became a music teacher so there's always been music in the family oh wow fantastic you mentioned the work in the in the us what did you find was the main kind of cultural differences personally and professionally from life in the uk to life in the us yeah well there's no doubt that the uh, united states is a foreign country you're, you're conscious of that straight away the moment you land there uh, whether you're on holiday or, or or you're going to live there you know and where uh, somebody famously said we you know we we're, we're divided by a common language um because obviously the um the language uh barrier is present you know even though you might think well every, everybody speaks english you know and of course it's hugely helpful that we all speak a version of english but it's it's funny there was there was some very amusing in incidents early on uh, one i remember when we were moving into our apartment when we when we just a couple of weeks after we landed in Chicago to live there and my wife and I were sort of we'd hired a van or something and we were moving our, our what few possessions we took with us into this apartment and we we kind of turned up at the apartment and said to the the doorman or the concierge you know you said oh, oh oh you know where's the um where's the goods lift uh so we could put our furniture in it and stuff and um and he kind of looked at us like we were mad you know and he said the what you know and he said oh the goods lift you know and he he's scratching his head he didn't have the faintest idea what we were talking about and then I I sort of you know I sort of twigged and I said oh I think maybe you call it a freight elevator and and he said oh the freight elevator of course yeah yeah it's just over there you know and it's like goods lift didn't mean anything to him at all you know uh I, I don't know you know so that's interesting you know and, and stupid things like you know we all know they call pavements sidewalks for example but what a lot of people don't know is that the road where the cars drive that is often referred to as the pavement and really? uh you hear it on traffic reports and things oh. like you know and the pavements jammed up with cars you know and, and as a as a Brit you're thinking the pavements jammed up with cars and then you kind of figure out they're talking about the road you know and it's like things like that just uh, daft little things but but beyond above and beyond the language yeah 
what I loved about America, and I did love it. I, I really enjoyed being there and, and made a lot of good friends there. But what I really loved about it was the sort of idea that you can do anything you want. And if you're prepared to put in the put in a bit of work and put in a bit of effort, you know, nobody, nobody is going to hold you back. And I don't think that is the case in this country or probably in Europe more widely. I think, you know, because we have these very ancient institutions and class systems and all those sorts of things, which can count against you, you know, if you're from a certain background, or you're of a certain ethnicity, and that sort of thing. Uh, whereas I think in America, that is much less of, a, of an issue, and, and you can get on with it. I mean, don't get me wrong, there is a great deal of uh, racism in America, there's a great deal of, of, as we all know, from the news, you know, more recently, there are many problems in America, it's not perfect by any means. But one thing I did love about it was that idea that, you know, whoever you were, wherever you came from, you could, uh, if you could, if you were prepared to get off your backside, you could get things done. And, uh, and I really liked that. Um, but as I say, I don't want to paint a picture like it's some sort of heaven. It's not, you know, <laughs> there are plenty of issues there, but I had a great time. I was, uh, I was very lucky. And in the world of, of kind of communication, presenting it and doing what you do, hopefully you'll understand where I come with this. Do you think actually the, the, the British accent was a selling point for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to pretend it was just my talent, but uh, but yeah, of course, the British accent does <laughs> help. Had that yeah, same because process, Dave. <laughs> the work <laughs> I do in the US is usually because I sound like this, not because of what I actually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's you know, when you're when you're in any foreign country, you've got to remember that you have a distinct advantage wherever you are in the world because you're different. Mm. Okay, and you can use that, you know, if you choose to. So whether you're in China or Russia or US or whatever, the fact that you're not a native can be an advantage. You know, obviously it can be a disadvantage as well in certain circumstances, but but people will take notice of you. And yes, if you talk posh like, you know, and you have a British accent, they do like the British accent in general. There are exceptions, of course, not everybody likes it, but most people do like it. And uh, certainly in communication terms, it can be it can be quite useful. Uh, so yeah, you, you stick out from the crowd a bit, and uh, and I and I, of course I shamelessly use my BBC background, you know, uh, e even though I hadn't actually been full time for the BBC for a number of years when I went there, I, I was absolutely shameless about sort of saying, oh yeah, ex BBC, blah blah blah, you know, because I, because at least you know that is a company that every single person virtually in the world will have heard of. Absolutely. Um, so, so you use it, you know. You do. Uh, on last week's episode, we have Faye Dicker, who um, is still a BBC presenter, um, and how that kind of, that was kind of like a, the spine of her career. Other things happened off of the back of either being be able to refer to that or use the experience of platform, that kind of thing. It's an interesting one, actually. We had mm -hmm. the week before that a uh, fantastic lady called Dr. Patty Ann Tublin, who, based in um, Baltimore uh, in the U.S., um, but essentially, in her words, a girl from Brooklyn um, and how she's kind of worked in this kind of high performance kind of coaching environment. And I think that really does align with the message you said about kind of it's very much kind of taught from an early age on how we can improve ourselves. One of those areas I, I think is massively underrepresented here, not just for personal reasons, but we we don't teach things like pub or haven't till very recently. We don't teach things like public speaking uh, at at school age. At university, you do get opportunities too, and at college. But at school age, we don't teach public speaking. Whereas when I've spoken to clients in education in the US, 
from a very early age, you're taught how to be able to deliver and present in front of people. And we both know how important that is to both of our successes by our own definitions of that term. Yeah, I think that's right. And and, and the communication skills um, are such a useful thing because they, they kind of go above and beyond whatever your qualifications might be, mm. because you can be you can be quite a brilliant person and fantastic at whatever job it is you do. But you, in most jobs, you need the ability to communicate that with other people, whether it's to teach people or just to pass on instructions or collaborate with other people and that sort of thing. So those so communication skills, being able to make yourself understood without pissing people off as well, you know, and sort of, you know, <laughs> do it diplomatically and all that sort of thing. But those those are those are such useful skills. And I think in this country, I think you're right, there is this there isn't an emphasis on that in in a, certainly in our state schools and i think i think perhaps in the in the in our public schools in the private education yes. sector there probably is more of a and you look at these you know the kids that come out of those schools you know and and, and not that and i didn't i'm state educated but but the you know i've met many 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 people over the years and my and i know my children my eldest daughter's at university she meets a lot of kids who are from from that private education sector and they they come out with I'm generalizing now, of course, this isn't doesn't apply to all of them. But in general, they come out with huge amounts of confidence, huge amounts of sort of self-esteem. And part of that is communication skills. And, um, you know, and we see it in our politicians as well. Sadly, you know, some of them have excellent communication skills without naming any names, but not necessarily much behind it. Yeah. You know, so uh, so sometimes we can be a bit let down. Um, by by that but um you know it's uh yeah I, th I think it would be a good thing if everybody was given some help with communication skills how to stand up in front of a room how to present and i, I yeah it probably does happen more than it did in our day it, yeah. from an education point of view I, I know my kids have had to stand up in front of the class and give presentations and things like that you know so that's a good that can only be a good thing but as you said we're in it it's alignment with personal development generally, you look at speaking with a capital S, it's not just about doing what we do, whether it's in the studio, whether it's on stage, whether it's about being able to deliver any message to anyone, whether it's one person at home or whether it's a million people on a video and anywhere in between, because it does have an impact on our success by our own definition, but also being able to deliver it with clarity and, and power and emotion. I think that's the thing that maybe some forms of training bypass we can hear a fantastically polished speaker but then they'll say run to the back of the room now is only ten thousand pounds it's very disingenuous you lose people or we we have that kind of scripted sales call that we know scripted so therefore we don't really connect with it i mean this is more yeah. your bag than mine communicating effectively on a human level surely that's where it's at not not this kind of scripted mentality right how do you help? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and I think we, we I used to do a, a podcast until just before the pandemic came along, uh, in conjunction with a with another Bristol based um, person uh, called the Communication Paradox. Okay. And our the basic sort of thinking behind the communication paradox was that we have this dilemma in business certainly, and I I think in life to an extent as well. But this dilemma between wanting to communicate perfectly. Yeah. And wanting to communicate authentically. Yeah. And those two things can sometimes clash. 
So, you know, uh, the temptation, particularly perhaps with social media and things like that, is to want to communicate perfectly, you know, to always put forward, you know, the best version of yourself or your business or your product. Whereas if we communicate authentically, my argument is that will happen naturally. So in other words, if we are, if we be ourselves at all times and we're, and we, and we actually communicate in a way that is not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, you know, in the end that will pay dividends. So I'm a great believer in authenticity and it's a, it's a word I, people who know me know that I use it a lot and probably too much, but, uh, and, and, and that, that, um, that podcast, which is still available, by the way, I think there are about 30 episodes of it, uh, is all about, you know, we interviewed lots of people about that, you know, people who were, um, who were interested, you know, interested in communications, you know, whether they were from business or or we even interviewed uh, a guy who was a skipper on a round the world yacht, you know, oh, about nice. that, about the power of and the importance of communications for him and that sort of thing. Fascinating subject, which you can, you know, it's almost endless what you can talk about with with communications. It, it really is. I mean, like I said, some of the environments I work in, uh, even with the most troubled environments, so for example, the work I do in the prison service or with adults, uh, children have had very poor experiences of male role models or even things like domestic abuse, for example. Even the art of communication, even though it looks differently in those spaces, is, is crucial because it's the reason why the strap line of my business forging people is transformation through speaking it's changing the narrative to change the experience and the most kind of eye-opening thing is and, and i've saying this to a recent guest uh, on the show the most eye-opening thing about the work in prison if you take away the security it feels like a college and when you listen to the stories that actually the the one twist the one turn along the way that somebody else has taken or has been forced upon them sometimes that just sends them in a different direction what I found though, and I'd love to get your insight on this, is from a communication point of view, if I'm running one of my events or, or coaching uh, public speaking, I'm getting people to tell their experiences, they use their stories. So very much first person perspective. When I'm doing the same work in the prison service, actually very often they share the stories of the people that they've impacted. So we can be owned by somebody else's stories. And I just find that for that form of communication, being able to change the narrative can sometimes change the experience of life. And that's a really big, deep question. I'll try to make that as clear as possible. So hopefully that makes sense. Dave. <laughs> yeah, it does make sense. And, and I tell you what it reminds me of is my days when I did work for the BBC and and uh, particularly in, in my freelance work in, in, in Chicago and, and in this country as well interviewing people for for radio shows or for documentaries and that sort of thing and the first thing is you've got to remember that as that you are the least important person in that conversation you know you're not there for your ego or for your you know to for people to find out about you you're there to find out about them to hear their stories and sometimes they're pretty reluctant to tell them because they're not used to telling them or they've never had the opportunity to tell them so I think, uh, and, and I apologize if this is slightly off kilter with what you were just saying, but I felt my job was to give people a platform. Mm. And the way I could do that was hopefully to get them to trust me a little bit. And to, even though they might have only just met me, uh, you know, to say, well, you know, to to try and talk their language, to try and, without, and I don't, that sounds patronizing. I don't mean it to, I don't mean talking down, but yeah. to try and just 
use the same language you know be there for them and actually make them as i say trust you a little bit so that when you do ask them a question um they are they are more willing to open up about it and i i met some really remarkable people even um you know and i wasn't you know doing it for huge numbers of years but before i kind of went more into the commercial sector where by the way i still use exactly the same skills to do what i do in the commercial sector but you know i met for example i i was very lucky to interview um uh, ex-soldiers you know uh, veterans from the Falklands and things like that to talk to them about their experiences of things and and you know some of those it was absolute privilege to get to do that you know and to meet some of these people and to to get their, them to telling me stuff that they often never talked about before you know and I you know and I'm making myself sound like some sort of you know really important psychologist or something and I'm not at all I mean I, I wasn't you know I I was I, I feel very humble about this stuff I don't think it was my expertise I just as I say gave them a platform to express themselves and their stories to me they did they they did change things you know they changed the way I thought about the world hopefully they changed things for their world as well you know because they were able to express themselves um in in you know in that context of of creating radio in that case and um and i think that stuff really matters you know and it, and and you if you can give people a chance and and give people a platform give them a voice i suppose you know people who wouldn't normally have a voice then i think you're doing something you're making some small contribution um you know and, and I, I, another example um forgive me i'm giving you lots of examples but no it's just right. one that are exactly really why you're, on there. you're a fascinating guy it's all <laughs> right from the start <laughs> but this, this, this one really sticks in my mind and i was working i was working for local radio at the time actually as a freelancer and um i went to i i was doing a a series um about um i think I, i'm just trying to remember what the original point of the series was I think it was something like um talking to people about uh end of life experiences and things like that oh, and wow. one of the people I was very lucky enough to interview was um was somebody who who did palliative care she was a doctor and she was responsible for palliative care at a big hospital and 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 that was interesting itself but she introduced me to um a couple who had very very sadly lost their teenage daughter through cancer and she and and amazingly they were prepared to speak to me and i went along to meet them in their home and we met and it, and you know and they'd lost their daughter you know less than a year before i met them so they were still very much and, and their daughter was i think about 11 or something i mean it was it was it was you know very raw very recent for them and they opened up to me and in, and and originally i just wanted to you know talk to them for a few minutes and use them as part of this bigger program but in the end i meant ended up making a a program just about them because they were so brilliant and they were so expressive and they were so glad to have the platform to talk about their daughter if only to celebrate her life um which absolutely was worth celebrating she sounded like she was a remarkable girl and had been incredibly courageous through the through the sort of latter stages of of having this awful disease and they got to express that and it moved me deeply that that experienced because i was you know because i was being admitted to this very very personal world of theirs and i can't tell you you know what that does to you you sort of you know you might you say oh i'm a professional you know i can deal with all this stuff and and you do of course but 
but it does move you it does affect you and to this day and that probably was 10 years ago maybe even longer that I did that but I still think about them I often think about them and and their their courage in in talking to me and the program we produced as a result of that which I was extraordinarily proud of actually because it because they loved it and it gave them a platform and 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 it gave a little bit of publicity for for them and and their daughter who had passed away and all their relatives and friends listened to it and loved it and all that sort of thing you know and again it wasn't through any great talent or 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 fantastic thing that I did other than giving them a platform and and saying talk to me you know and uh, and they trusted me and they did so so that sort of thing can really affect you and um and and really move you and, and it certainly did and, and that that is a highlight of my career that uh and it was only a little thing for local radio I mean it wasn't you know it was never going to win an Oscar or or uh, anything like that but to me that was my Oscar winning program I love that and for them absolutely very much a, a therapeutic process as well to be able to do that I think so I think so yeah they certainly said it was and mm. and hopefully all these years later you know if they, they've still got the recordings you know I'm sure they haven't thrown them away I, I made sure they had all the recordings for for posterity but you know and hopefully they they can still get something from that even after all these years profile me is a super shareable mobile application designed to help professionals grow their personal brand Proudly paperless, this powerful tool packs the power of web, social media, and messaging into one beautifully designed interface that offers a unique and human-centric way to connect and build trust with clients. Easy to share on any platform and easy to save to any phone's home screen. With Profile Me getting referred has never been easier. You strike me as a as a humble guy. I think that, so you probably wouldn't say this, but I will say it to you. Um, I think what you've given them, other than the platform, which let's face it, a lot of people can give them the platform. What you've built with them is trust and rapport, that they actually trusted you enough. You built that rapport with them where you showed you, and then they actually shared their experiences with you. And I think that's that's massively overlooked, I think, in 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 oh, not just humanity, but communication generally is what we're looking to build with people quite quickly with communication from my point of view, in terms of speaking and that kind of stuff is, is commonality and community, you're kind of, you're showing to people, we need to get it quite quick as well, don't we always say in the first 10 seconds of any talk, try and get community and commonality, why are you like me? And why should you listen to me? And what am I going to bring to you answering those kind of questions? I, I know without even seeing that, that kind of play out, you would have given them that comfort right from the start that up for an agreement with them about how it's going to be. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I, and, and that's very important. You do have to, you do have to establish that that bond quickly, you know, and get their trust and get their, you know, their agreement for you to be there, you know. And 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 obviously, the fact that I was introduced by a, a senior medical person, who they trusted, you know, and and she she said, you know, meet this guy. He's he's a nice guy, you know. He's not because obviously, when people think journalism, you know, they sometimes you know think the worst because there are some awful people around in, in that industry in the communications world and I had to tell them you know look, I'm not here to do some sort of exclusive you know uh, bear all thing I I really want to know you know what you went through and as I said I didn't even go there to make a program about them but yeah. it ended up being a program about them so yeah I suppose that I suppose that 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 first five ten minutes is very important um and I and again I think it's about part of it's about being quite humble and um you know and realizing that you're there 
they are the important people in the room not you um I think that's that you know because I see I've seen plenty of people over the years do it differently go in as the sort of star interviewer or whatever you know say hey I work for the BBC I'm terribly important you know and, <laughs> and people can just shrink away from that if yeah. if you're not careful um and uh, that, that, and that's the equivalent of a stage seller isn't it that that's the person that kind of highly polished performance but you cannot connect emotionally uh, anybody listening yeah I guess that's right yeah. Yeah, and anybody listening to this right now and watching you and and even your body language, that everyone just knows that what you're about. You can feel what you're about. It's not about what you're saying, although that is a part of it, of course, but you can kind of feel what you're talking about. I love that. I think that's what really kind of drew me to you to start with when we were introduced online originally through LinkedIn, um, through the, the pandemic. The reason why I wanted to get you in to speak to people is because I just love the tone, the vibe, and also what you were sharing yeah well I, I well thanks for that nick i mean i'm glad i'm glad that was that came across um and i, I i'm talking to communications and and, back and giving a good first impression i i just noticed i, I threw this shirt on because i thought oh i better put a smart shirt on for nick you know so i don't look too scruffy and i realized this shirt is not ironed and i, yeah. and I, and I i'm feeling <laughs> i'm feeling very sort of self-conscious about it now you know they're oh god but people are gonna think i'm such a slob you know <laughs> Honestly, it's not a problem. First of all, you may set a trend. You never know. I'm wearing a jumper. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. It's snowing outside, so we're just going to just going to dress up casually. But you could start a new trend. You never know. You look you look great, Dave. Yeah, Trust yeah. Me. An iron shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, but actually, as an aside, let's do let's do this. I very rarely, well, certainly through lockdown, I never ironed anything in two years. <laughs> very rarely had to iron anything nowadays. But it used to be all the time when back in kind of corporate life, like kind of. Yeah, iron certainly got we've got fallen out of love with our relationship with an iron, but you look great. Don't worry about it. Well, that's kind of you to say that, Nick. I, the, I, 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 but I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I used to iron a lot of shirts on a Sunday night. You know, I'd iron a week's worth of shirts. Yeah, you know, right, five, yeah. five shirts on a Sunday night, and then, then the, the COVID came along, and and the iron kind of never saw the light of day. You know, so <laughs> which I was quite pleased about. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've spoken about your kind of personal and professional kind of background up until this point. Um, now, so what does what does kind of your day to day work look like right now? Like who, who do you kind of work with? What do you do for them? Uh, tell us about kind of what you're up to right now. OK, well, well, this week um, I've been I was down in um, Newbury uh, a few days ago recording some podcasts for a client down there. And uh, so I would have spent a day. I think we recorded four four different podcasts with various guests and stuff now in that case the the client themselves were hosting so I was producing and and helping them a bit coaching them a little bit on the on the um on the sort of presentation side obviously I I take the kit with me to an to a face-to-face -face podcast like that yeah um and and then you know and then I bring that back and I edit that here on my own system here I use pro tools for anybody who's interested for my audio editing uh because i it's one it's a system i've used for years and years it's it, it's probably a bit over the top for for um podcast editing to be honest but uh, but it's a system i know extremely well from my radio days so uh, so i still use it um it's interesting though you know you, you because you know we're doing this podcast now here online and you're recording the video as well and that's that's great and 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 obviously during the pandemic, um, you know, loads of these little platforms sprang up. Zoom obviously had a you know incredible renaissance and uh, became incredibly important to all of us. And and I started doing a lot of online 
podcasting during that time for for my clients yeah. and even even video clients who could no longer do video said well let's do podcasting instead and we would we would do that and so but now you know a few years later although I still do some online stuff um a lot of the podcast and all the video work is now back to face to face we're in the room together and personally I'm delighted about that because because I I I love being in a room with people and 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 chatting to them and and talking to them and hopefully giving them a platform as we discussed earlier you know and and to me that's a lot easier if you're in the room with them you can do it online of course you can and we do but and you're doing it extremely well now but but I think the 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 being in the room with somebody is so it's so nice it's much more hassle because obviously you've got to travel somewhere and everybody else has to travel to the same place <laughs> but it also from a technical point of view and I do come from a technical background originally because of my BBC training and stuff you know having being able to take along the microphones and the recording equipment and set it all up the way I want it and to you know and to put up some blankets to deaden the sound in the room a bit and make it sound a bit more like a studio those things are nice because I have more control over the technical quality as well than yeah. online where you're very much reliant on the speed of the internet connection and the quality of the microphone at the other end and et cetera, et cetera. So, so the face to face thing is nice for me. And, and, and interestingly, there's now real crossover between the podcast side, which was audio only traditionally and the video side. And I've been working in the last few weeks with another client uh, who they, they asked to do a series of podcasts. They want to do, I think, 12 podcasts over the next year, but they want them all videoed and they want them videoed in high quality, you know, so to the extent they're prepared to pay for me to bring in a proper camera person with several cameras and lighting and all that sort of thing. And all those podcasts will go on YouTube as well as going on traditional uh, podcasting platforms. So it's interesting that crossover is happening and pe people want to do video and podcasting. And that's great for me because, uh, you know, I'm kind of in pole position for that. You know, I've I've been doing yeah. both for years. Yeah, so uh, double bubble. So, so happy days, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess um, the final kind of thing I want to throw in, and you mentioned <clears throat> about in-person energy. And again, I had this conversation with a client this morning of um, coming away from lockdown where everything was virtual for obvious reasons. But um, we now live in quite that hybrid world. Like you say, very often now my events are in person, but beamed back to, to kind of virtual working. I think trying to maintain energy is is a tough thing online, isn't it, with, with um, delivering online sessions. The event that you attended in Bristol, my event, was the first one after lockdown. And I don't think people realise how much they missed in person, even for the introverts in the room, like myself, weirdly, um, until we actually got to that point because everybody came in wearing a mask and even though we got the floor safe because we had it all to ourselves within five minutes everyone was going like hugging it, it, it was a really weird thing to see humanity kind of open up again because we got very kind of guarded against contact didn't we in person we did, we did. And, I th and I think we'd for we had not really realized how much we missed it mm. you know because we'd all got so used to doing zoom and doing this sort of thing and, and teams or what have you and walking in, I mean because obviously that was for me as well that was one of the first sort of in-person yeah. events I'd done for for a long time and for me as well it was it was an absolute joy just to be in a room with other human People. beings and and, yeah. and to uh you know to say oh hi you know yeah. this is what you look like in person instead of just on a on a, on a webcam uh so it yeah absolutely I couldn't agree more and and, and in the end you know 
if I could if I could have a choice between online and in person, I'd always choose in person because that suits me. But I know that's not true for everybody, and no. that's fair enough. You know, some people like you know being sat at their desk with just the camera, and they can turn the camera off if they want. You know, and just have yeah. the audio, and that's okay. That's fine. But for me personally, I just I just love being in a room with lots of people. I agree. I always say it's it's good enough, but in person's better for me, as you said, because a lot of it's energy, energy transfer, really, isn't it? I guess from a... yeah, and I think in your in your profession, you know, where you're helping people with with, with public speaking, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, energy is everything, isn't it? it you know, is. and that and that how to read the room, how to sort of get feedback from the room, and to to prosper from the people in the audience, you know, and that that is all a hundred times more difficult, if not impossible, mm. when you're doing it online. Absolutely. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, certainly I think I do much better, um, well, much more enjoyable podcasts. And and videos when when we're in the room together, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah absolutely, um, I get that. I mean, that's one thing I've not really uh, considered is actually the in-person podcast. That sounds quite cool now you come to mention it. So we will be having a conversation away from here. Stay tuned, everyone. Yeah, else. well, that... <laughs> so, well, Dave, before it is, I let you go back into the worlds of Stroud, um, okay, I'm, I'm now going to set the scene. I'm the MC of the O2 Arena in London. Twenty thousand people have paid their hard-earned money to come and hear you do your thing. You're sat back in the green room, sipping a beer or prosecco, whatever tipple of your choices. You hear me call your name. The crowd goes wild, and your walk-on music comes in. The song that motivates you, that lifts you, that gets you at peak state. What would your walk-on music be, and why? Okay, well, listen, I'm 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 going to be really sneaky now. I'm going to give you two answers. Okay, when I was with you, when I was with you, uh, and we did that thing that you referred to that uh, that seminar that you that you ran, I chose uh, a song called Brighton Rock by Queen, which is off their second album, I believe, and uh, or possibly third. I'm not sure. Sheer Heart Attack, anyway, is the name of the album, and um, and it's a it's a song that I've always loved ever since I was a uh, you know, a youngster, and um, you know, and I was trying to play the guitar in a in a very bad schoolboy band, and and I just loved that. I love Brian May's guitaring in it, and and obviously Freddie Mercury's voice and all that sort of thing. The only trouble with that song, as I realised when we used it that day, is it has quite a slow intro, <laughs> and it doesn't kind of get going. So I think we'd have to we'd have to start it a little, a few bars in, you know, yeah. just to just to sort of get that get the crowd going. But yeah, any, anyway, that, that so that still remains my favourite song, and I'd still be very happy with that. But the reason I want to I want to sort of hedge my bets a bit is that you know I think. I, I want people to know that you know I I have kids and they keep me up to date with music, <laughs> not very well, but and I so I'm I'm a massive fan of Dua Lipa, for instance. Okay. Now I know that she, I am definitely not her target audience. You know I'm you know I'm probably more than twice her age, but I just love her stuff and yeah. uh, particularly her her most recent album, Future Nostalgia, I think it's called, and I love every track on that. Uh, so, so I, 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 you know, I might be tempted to choose a Dua Lipa chat. And then, in passing, I should also say that I've become a massive fan of Hamilton as well. And I know that's not, uh, I'm not sure that's walk-on music, but I just love Hamilton. I love anything by Lin Manuel Miranda. I think he's a genius, frankly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and my daughter introduced me to that as well. She used to listen to it. And she said, "Listen to this. What do you think of this?" And and then she persuaded us to go and see it in London. Uh, before lockdown and uh yeah i just I, I think it's absolutely is a work of genius so I, if anybody listening or watching hasn't seen hamilton it's on disney plus and of course it's still on in the west end so uh go and Fantastic. see it what an answer 
a lot of thought got yeah, into sorry, it. Sorry, it was a bit long-winded, it? Really, really good. <laughs> so, okay, Dave Harris, thank you for being such a great guest. Big round of applause. Absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you very much for asking me on. Uh, it's been fascinating to hear your journey and said more power to your elbow as well. The world needs better communication now more than ever, actually. Um, so <laughs> more power yeah. to your elbow indeed. Um, to anybody who's kind of tuned into this, whether it's on video or audio, you want to reach out to Dave. I know Dave will be happy to hear from you. Please do connect, look at his stuff, follow him, whatever he takes to do to get you into his world. Do that thing. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I have. So hit subscribe, like, and all that jazz, whatever it takes to get you back here next week. You know, I'm not a details guy. I don't know what that looks like. He's probably the guy to talk about that kind of stuff. But for now, from me to you, see you next Monday. Have a great week ahead. Take care. Be happy. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers.